Now our text today, the text we have assigned today is 2 Peter 2, verses 12 to 22. If you can open there, that's 2 Peter 2, 12 to 22. But we'll start in, in verse 1 of the, uh, the, second pet, uh, the second chapter of the second epistle of Peter. Our study today is entitled, Be Aware of False Teachers. Quite obvious topic, we've been dealing with that last week. We'll continue today. Now, if you can follow in your Bible, I'll read from verse 1, 2, 3, and then I'll jump to uh, our text today, just reading a little bit before, so to give you a little bit of context. So 2 Peter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive waves, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Now to verse 12. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption. And we receive the wages of unrighteousness, as those who counted pleasure to carouse in the daytime. Their spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Now the whole purpose of the epistle of Peter is to both warn and also equip the church regarding false teachers. Peter wants to equip the saints to identify false teachers, but also 
how to not be trapped in their false teaching. He starts in verse 1, talking about the knowledge, in chapter 1, talking about the knowledge of Christ. We've seen that in previous weeks, right? He talks about how we are granting ev everything regarding life and godliness through the true knowledge of Christ. You can see that in verses 2 to 4 of the first chapter. He also prompts us to seek growth in the knowledge of God and of Christ because it develops our faith and makes us firmly grounded in Christ. And he gives that beautiful chain of what you should add to your faith in verses 5 to 8, right? Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness broadly kindness, and to broadly kindness love. And his, his point is we should be also grounded in scriptures, because scripture are our utmost source for knowledge of Christ, because they are God's trustworthy self-revelation. And that's towards the end, verses 16, 19, 21 of the first chapter. Now in the second chapter, we've seen in the beginning of the chapter, that Peter is talking about how the arising of false teachers is inevitable. They will come as also false prophets arose in, in, among the people in, uh, in Israel. So like the false prophets came to Israel to deceive, deceive them, there will be also false teachers among the church. And that's verse 1 and 2. Now he also talks about how God will patiently endure this apostasy, reserving the final punishment to the false teachers to judgment day. And that's verse 4. And also you can see in verse 10. He gives a lot of examples of the Old Testament to prove that God knows how to deliver the just to uh, out of temptations, the godly out of temptations, actually verse 9. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Now, in our passage today, in our section between verses 12 and 22, Peter is going to talk about some common traits or how to identify false teachers. You notice that he doesn't name any false teacher by name, nor any false doctrine by name in the whole section, nor, by the way, in any verse of this whole epistle. Now, we sometimes, when we want to talk about false teachers, we want to go first to their doctrines and then name their names. Well, why is Peter not doing that here? He's not giving you a grocery list of false doctrines or names of people. Well, because he wants to supply to believers a universally reliable method to recognize false teachers, and that is look at their behavior, look at their intentions, as we will see. Now, to our text today, common traits of false teachers. False teachers are oblivious to the real spiritual issues. Look down to verse 12. They are like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed. They are like natural, irrational animals, creatures of instinct, as the ESV puts it. The only way they can think is what they can drive from their instincts, from their rationality. They can't see beyond their own fleshly 
fleshly mindset. Now, this is also uh, what Jude talks about in his epistle. If you can turn to Jude, there's only one chapter. Jude is a very interesting epistle. He starts talking about, oh, well, I was, uh, beloved, I wanted to write you about something else. But then I felt pressure, the Lord pressure in my heart to talk about false false teachers, and then he talks about false teachers the whole episode. We never have any word about what he wanted to talk about before. So pressing, press, uh, pressing is the issue. If you turn to Jude verse 10, and he uses the same words. Look at that. Jude verse 10. But this, and he's talking about the false teachers, speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts. In these things they corrupt themselves. And if you read the whole, the whole epistle, you see a lot of commonalities between what Peter is talking about here in our chapter and what Jude is talking in his epistle. So they only operate, the false teachers can only operate when what, can, what they can know naturally. They only can operate on what they can see, touch, think for themselves because they do not have the Spirit of God leading them and teaching them. Now they have a carnal mind, just like in Romans 5 to 6. Romans 8, 5 to 6, we have a, what the carnal mind does. The carnal mind can only live off their own fleshly instincts. Also, words of Paul in Romans 16, when he talks about Romans 16, 17, and 18, he talks about those who cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which the believers in Rome learned, he talks to avoid them because they do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly. These false teachers serve their own belly, not Christ. And that's why they can't see beyond themselves. They are like natural brute beasts, just like an animal, cattle, just living their lives off their instincts, not striving for anything else, anything beyond their existence because they can't. They are not inhabited by the Spirit of God. Now, they speak evil of things they do not understand. That's still in verse 12. They speak evil of things they do not understand because they don't have the humility that comes with true knowledge of God. They do not have the wonder that the Apostle Paul, the great apostle that we always talk about, oh, he wrote half of the New Testament. But then in Romans 11, verses 33 to 36, if you take a look, he talks very interesting. He, he, he wonders at the depth and the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. Verse 33 uh, of Romans 11, 33. How unsearchable are his judgments and his past ways, and his ways past finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord who has become his counselor, or who has first given him that it shall be repaid to him? A sort of wonder. The Apostle Paul that teaches us so much about God still wonders about the majesty and the glory of God and how much we don't know. We only know what is revealed to us. It's a certain humility face the knowledge, the true knowledge of God. Now, if you want to contrast this, what we have in 1 John chapter 2, how the Spirit teaches true believers. The Spirit doesn't do. It's a different way. 1 John chapter 2, and if you go to verse 18, you see that little children, is, 
It is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that this is, this is the last hour. So there are many that we will have with the spirit of the Antichrist, not just the Antichrist himself, but also many before him. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest, and none of them were of us. So he's talking about apostasy. But then in verse 20, you, you the believers, the true believers, have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. So the Spirit is able to show us, to show us, and to teach us things. We can see beyond our own eyes, we can hear beyond our ears, because we have the Spirit to guide us. Now, False teachers, second thing that Peter talks about here in this second chapter of his epistle. They have a thin veil of righteousness that in fact hides a life of unbridled sin. Now look down to verses 13 and 14. And they county pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. Now the word here, have pleasure, they really, uh, it's, they delight. Some, some translations, I think the NIV puts delight. They delight in engaging in uh, self-indulgence or indulgent living, overindulgence. In the daytime, which was for the, Roman and Greek uh, culture was not seen as good. They, they didn't mind carousing in the nighttime, but they were a bit, uh, let's say, ashamed, <laughs> vexed to do it in the daytime. But Peter is saying, no, these people, they have no, no shame in what they are doing. They have no shame in, their, in the sinful life they are living. Even though they are among you, they do not have any shame. They take part in the church fellowship, but they are not true believers. They put a facade, they put on a facade of godliness. Look at verse 13. They're among the believers in fellowship with them. They're feasts, but they are not true believers. That's because they're hopelessly fixated and filled with lust and greed. That's what he's talking about, verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, sexual sin. Covetousness. We have, see, they have a heart trained in covetous practices. Greedy money. They want more. They're not satisfied because they don't have the one that satisfies. They're putting on a facade. And because of that, they are in a cursed brood. They are in a cursed brood. They are children accursed. Now, if you think this is strong words for people by an apostle, go to Galatians 1. You see, Paul has the same sort of holy anger against this, this type of thing. In Galatians 1.6, we read, 
And he's talking to believers, to a whole church. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And now Paul gives the famous warning. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be, oh, here's that word again, accursed. Anathema. Accursed. And we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. John the Baptist said to religious people of his time, brood of vipers, brood of vipers, who warn you to flee against the wrath to come. In Matthew 3, Verses 7 to 8. Now, third thing, false prophets, they have fallen away, gone astray from the truth, and tried to drag others in their way. They don't go alone. They, don't, they want to take others with them. Look down to verse 14, 15, and 16. So at the end of verse 14, we have that they want to entice unstable souls. They want to entice or drag unstable souls. And also they have forsaken, verse 15, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. This is a story of Balaam. If you want to read it, it's a good exercise to read it at home. Numbers 22 to 25, the story of Balaam. Balak, a king of Moab, saw the Israelites coming to the land. They are about to conquer the land just before Moses died. They camp uh, just across from Jericho. And the Moabites are afraid that the Israelites are going to conquer them. Balak goes and hires Balaam. We, Balaam is called a, a diviner, a sort of prophet, to curse Israel and the people. So in an attempt to try to gain some time or even try to defeat Israel in battle. And the story goes that Balaam talks with God, and God says, no, you're not going to go. I don't want to let you go. I don't want to curse these people, because I haven't cursed these people. And Balak says to, to the emissaries of, of Balaam says to the emissaries of, of Balak, well, God, Lord says that I can't go. I can't, I can't do this. They go back. Balak raises the price, brings in more people, more noble people, probably more money. And then Balaam is tempted and he goes again and asks the Lord a second time. As if the first time wasn't clear, he asked for a second time. And the Lord concedes him. He, he gives him the concession, but he gives him a, a warning. You are only going to say what I say to you, nothing else. And he goes and we know the story. If you read it, they go to a certain mountain and they he sees the Israelites, and then he can only prophesy good things about the Israelites. And then Balak says, no, 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 oh, don't do this. Let's go get closer. You see them again. Maybe you curse them. And he does the second time. Can't do anything but prophesying good things about. Even some, if you look at the prophecies, there's some evidence of Christ. He's prophesying about probably Christ in, in there. Can't do anything else but prophesy good things about Israel. Goes a third time to a place even closer, does the same thing. And even at this time, fourth prophecy, he, he prophesies against the Moabites, saying that Israel would 
in the end overcome and conquered the Moabites. Well, if you read that and you don't understand why, why Peter is talking about Balaam here, doesn't make any sense. But then after this story ends, next chapter, Numbers 25, Israel takes part in uh, sexual immorality involved with the cult of Baal, with the Moabite women. And in that day, the Lord punishes them with, uh, with a plague, and 24,000 men fall in that day. And we get that, we don't understand why, but well, it's sin, it's idolatry, it's sexual immorality. Then in, in Numbers 31, we get to know who had the idea of doing that. Balaam. Counsel Balak to do that. To send the Moabite women and to corrupt Israel. Balaam, the guy that heard the voice of God, could only think about his prize, the money, and corrupting God's people. Now, in Revelation 2, we have that topic coming up again. If you think it's just Old Testament history, look no further than Revelation 2, verses 12 and onward, where we are told by Jesus himself talking to a church, talking to the church of Pergamos. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, this thing says, he who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works, where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name, and did not deny my faith, even in the days which Antipas, uh, in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Okay, sounds like a, com a good uh, commendation here. Then, Verse 14, but I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who thought Balak to put a stumping block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. And he goes on to talk about the Nicolaitans as well. So he was alive to the church of Pergamos, and I believe this is an actual warning to the physical church of Pergamos in the first place, but it's also a warning to all those who read it after it. If it was alive, this doctrine in the New Testament, look out. Perhaps it's around us today. I'm not going to even suggest it is around us today, so make, make, it, make no mistake. Now, fourth thing about false prophets, false teachers, sorry. Though they are captivating, their message has little godly content. If we go back to 2 Peter 2, look at verse 17 and onwards. These are wells without water, clouds carried away by a tempest. What is a well without water or a spring without water? It's not a spring. Useless. Has the shape, the form of a well, but you get close to it, no water. Can't satisfy your thirst. Can't be useful for the main purpose of its existence. Clouds carried by a tempest, or a mist carried by a, a wind of a tempest. In, a, in a agricultural societies, that's where your water comes from. It doesn't come from the tap, it comes from falling from the sky. But if there is a thick cloud just passing by and not raining on your field, useless. Why then a, why then a cloud in the first place? A lot of hope, a lot of promise, but no delivery really, no power. Just a smoke screen. Verse 18, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh. Great words, swelling words, a lot of talk, no power, no God, no godliness. 
Now, if you contrast this with the God-given, God-driven preaching in 1 Corinthians 2, where Paul talks about his preaching, 1 Corinthians 2, if you go down to verse, sorry, verse 1, and he talks, he defends his gospel. And I've read, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, Declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling, in my speech, in my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. Is that the Apostle Paul is saying here that he didn't try to convince them by the rhetoric, by their good argumentation. And he was the one entitled to because he was trained in that. But he's saying no. But it says in verse 4, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So false teachers, they have a captivating message, but it's empty of godly content. And now we see here in verse 18 of 2 Peter 2, how the strategies they use, the baits they use, to allure people to them, the lusts of the flesh. Now, if you want, this is a very short list, but if you want a bigger list of the lusts of the flesh, be aware, Galatians 5.19, the fruits of the flesh. And there is where you're going to have your baits for, for where the false teachers will try to catch you, to allure you, to hook you up to their, to their doctrine. Just a little list here, uh, starting on verse Galatians 5, starting on verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, all that word again, idolatry, Balaam, sorcery, Balaam, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the time past, that those who practice should, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So be careful. Their, their message is attractive, but is void of godly content. Now, their rhetoric and altered appearance uh, actually doesn't match their spiritual reality. That's what we are told in verses 19 to the end of the, the section here. They are actually not free from sin. They're slaves of sin. They are actually not being rescued, but they are walking toward their ultimate and final damnation. And their state is worse than unbelief. Apostasy is worse than unbelief. As our Lord says in Luke 12, verses 42 and onwards, that everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. This once had, they knew the truth, they were close to it, but yet they choose not to walk on the truth and to walk uh, based on their own self-interest to lead a lot of people astray. And the Lord has very strong words as we saw in this, this past Sunday in, in Matthew 17, Matthew 18, that the Lord does not take lightly those that make his children stumble. Now, we have this at the end, at the very end here. Very interesting thing, verse 22. 
Ultimately, they cannot, the false, false teachers cannot escape from their filthy, unregenerate nature. Look at that. They are like a dog that has just vomited. They feel better, but they're still dogs. They're going to go back and lick it. They are like a sow, having been washed, looking great, but let her out <laughs> on her own will, and she'll go back wallowing in the mire. She'll go back to the mud because she's still a pig. They may look better right now because they have managed somehow, and that's possible, to, to have a sort of moral reformation. They are cleansed, but not cleansed because of God. They are cleansed because, well, they made an effort. Everybody can, to a certain extent, do that, but they'll come back to it because the flesh is more powerful. Actually, if you remember in Matthew 12, the Lord talks about what happens to a man when an unclean spirit gets out of a man? And the Lord reminds us that when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through a lot of places and finds no place to rest. And then he comes back and see the, the old place swept and clean and tidy. And he brings with him seven other spirits. And the end of that man is worse than the first stage, than the beginning. So it is with those that see the powerful and mighty work of God and actually apostatize and walk away. Now, we come to the end of this, and you understand why Peter started with calling them like natural brute beasts. Their end is just to be caught and destroyed. Their end is destruction. So what? What does that have to do with you or me, for that sake, for that matter? Now, in 2 Timothy 3, I'm going to indulge you with this little verse here. 2 Timothy 3, uh, Paul talks to Timothy about how things would come in the last days, how they would turn in the last days. In the last days, he says, but know this, talking to Timothy, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, talking evil of the things they do not know. Remember? Without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rendered than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And what is the recommendation of Paul? Well, it's very clear. And from such people, turn away. And in my Bible, it even has an exclamation point mark at the end. Turn away. So the burden is not on me to name who is a false teacher, who is not, what is a false teaching, what is not. As it wasn't with Peter, the burden is on you that is listening. If you have the Holy Spirit with you, be aware. Be aware, turn away, be aware of those who are not concerned with the spiritual, the true spiritual issues. They're not concerned about what Jesus is concerned about. Maybe they're concerned about fame, followers, how much people like them, but not about God's work and what God's work of salvation is in this world. Be aware of those whose testimony is not very consistent with the pattern of godly life laid out in scripture. They have an appearance of godliness but when you look close, they're not. 
It's not that that is guiding them, not the Spirit of God. Be aware of those who seek to use their position and following to their own personal gain and not to the glory of God, to their own selfishness, to their own instincts, to their greed and to their lust. Be aware of those who have an interesting message, but then upon very close inspection, it doesn't sound like the Bible. It's not biblical. Or it's destroying the Bible. Maybe for a good purpose, just spread the gospel. Mm, destroying the Bible or the message of the gospel, just spread the gospel. They don't match. Look out. What you read, what you listen, who you listen, what you watch. Could be in form of songs. A lot of things these days are labeled Christian, and then we take it blindly, right? Oh, it's Christian content. Oh, he's a Christian author. Yeah, look again. Peter is talking here. They are walking among you. They are fellowshipping among you. Be aware. And the burden is on who is listening, not on who is talking. Now I'm going to start talking false prophecy. Put the label down. It's not like that. The burden is on the believer that is listening to it. Now there's another application here as well. In our congregation, we have a lot of people that come here and occupy this platform and speak for, like me, over time, but that's okay. We have a, a responsibility. Sunday school teachers, parents, if you're witnessing to somebody, at that moment in time, you are a teacher of God. Now I'm going to ask you something very serious when you are in that. Why are you doing that? Are you doing that for your own glory, for your own pride, to sound smart? to look cool, or are you doing that for the glory of God? Because if you're not doing for the glory of God, you're this close of becoming a false prophet or a false teacher. Be aware that you don't become a false teacher. It's very easy to point fingers. Oh, he's a false teacher. But sometimes we are tempted to do things not for the glory of God, but because we have a self-interest in it. We are charged by God, and you can look that up in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 6. Charged by God to preach for God's glory. I'll go there. So you don't say I'm a false teacher. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Paul is talking about his ministry to the Corinthians. Therefore, since we have this ministry and we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. But by manifestation of the truth, commending yourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We have a charge, and it's a charge to be faithful to the message and faithful to the God of the message, over all and after all. Now, I want to finish with uh, the words of Peter himself in his third chapter, chapter of this second epistle. If you can turn with me, Second Peter 3, at the very end of the epistle, what you do with this, all this information, verse 17, Second Peter 3, 17, You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, be aware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked. 
but he doesn't end there. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Let us practice this and uh, help by God. Avoid false teachers and avoid being labeled or being or fall into false teaching. And instead grow to, to glorify God in our lives every day and every moment. Amen.